Well, if you were here last week, I know that I'm still excited um, from last week as well when we got to hear our new pastor candidate, and he was voted and accepted to be our new pastor come January 6th, and he'll be joining us then. I talked to a few people at the first service who couldn't be here. I would, would let you know that the audio of that message is all online now at zpc.org if you'd like to listen to that or if you want to listen again. It's posted there now. And uh, I heard someone say last week during some of the um, activities that were here that we're leaning forward into the future. So even though we're looking ahead to January 6th when Jerry Deck will be joining us and joining our team, we need to continue to be the church now. We need to continue to be the church in November and December before we get to January. We need to continue to be the church. You are the church. Continue to be the church into 2014. And think about how you can use your time, talents, and treasures to be the church and to serve God even when Jerry gets here. I want to really encourage you to do that. Well, as we do look forward to the future in the month of December, obviously we'll be talking about and celebrating Christmas as we look forward to that. There'll be some opportunities for you to reach out into the community, like through Shepherd Totes or Operation Christmas Child or some other ways as well. But as we mentioned earlier, for this month, it's really about generosity. And so for the month of November, these four Sundays in November, we're talking about first things first. And as I mentioned with um, Alan, each of those Sundays, you're going to hear from someone in the church to share about how they sense that God is having them use their time, their talent, and their treasures to both serve God and to serve the church. Um, we're going to be learning about today, though, what's our motivation to give? What's our motivation to serve? What's our motivation to use our time? It's really God's love. Our motivation comes from the fact that God loved us first, as we talked about with the kids a few minutes ago. Well, then we need to think about, well, what is love? Is love a feeling? Is it action? You know, what helps us to define love? So as I was doing some research this week, I came across some quotes that... Um, asked a question of children, and it said, what is love? And here's four of those answers from kids on what love is. When someone loves you, the way that they say your name is different. You know that your name is safe in their mouth. I thought that was a great one. Love is when someone hurts you and you get so mad, but you don't yell at them because you know it would hurt their feelings. That's love. Love is when your puppy licks you after, on your face, even after you left him alone all day. And then finally, when my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. Well, today we're going to look at what love is, an act of love, and the fact that God loved us first. And that love from God motivates us to love others and to give back to God because God gives to us first. So in learning about that, we're going to look at 1 John 4. Our scripture today is 1 John 4, verses 7 through 12. And as you're getting out your Bibles or if you want to look up on the screen, I'm going to turn to that page as well. Let's ask God to bless our reading of the scripture. Most loving God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this chance to dig into your word to look at it, to understand it. And God, we humbly ask that you help us to understand your word 
and then to know how to apply it to our lives, even today, even this week. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 John 4, verses 7 through 12. This is God's word. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. There's some notes in your bulletin if you'd like to use those, and those will be on the screen here as well. And the first of those notes is this, is in those first two verses as we look at each of these verses, God loved first, 1 John 4, 7, and that God is love. It is who God is in 1 John 4, 8. John again says, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. But if you don't love, you may not know God, he says, because God is love. God is the definition of love. Well, there was a survey done five years ago among over 1,000 Christian, 1,000 adults around the United States, and they talked about their view of God. What did they view God to be like? They really didn't say much about God being a loving God. And as those answers came in, the people uh, who ran the survey categorized those in five categories, what God is like. Five percent of those surveyed said that um, they were atheist or agnostic. They did not believe in God. The other 95 percent were categorized in these four categories, and here they are. First, an authoritative God, 28 percent. God is the authority. A distant God, 24 percent. So some feel that God is out there, but he's far away. We can't touch him. We can't relate to him. He doesn't relate to us. 22% that God is a benevolent God. God gives to us. And 21% that God is critical, um, convicting or critical in in a hard way. I think as we look at those categories, as we think about maybe even others that we talk to God, sometimes as human beings, we make God out to be what we think God is. But in reality, as we look into the Scripture, God is very complicated, and God has many um, uh, characteristics and attributes that we need to pay attention to. And today, as we look at what John says in 1 John, he says that God is love. Certainly, God is authoritative. God is benevolent. God can be convicting through the Holy Spirit when we need it, but God is love above everything else. So we see that God loved first, and then we are called to respond to that love, to love God back. Well, how do we see God's love? We see God's love in in many ways. Here are two of those ways. We see God's love through general revelation, through creation or nature as we observe the universe, as we observe things around us. We see God's love through special revelation, Jesus' sacrificial atonement on the cross. General revelation is having the knowledge of God through observation of nature around us. And we see that before Jesus came to earth, God revealed himself through prophets and the law, but also through nature. As I was 
driving around yesterday, I was taking Luke and Graham to a birthday party, and we were winding through some country roads, and, and, and I would point up at some of the trees, look at that tree, that's got yellow, red, and orange, or that tree, that tree's got green and yellow and red. You know, it was amazing, and God's creation, especially in central Indiana, even this week, is amazing. That's part of God's revelation to us, is looking at the world that God has created and being amazed by that, being humbled by that. But there's also special revelation, specific information on how we know God through Scripture and through Jesus. So where general revelation deals with the existence of God, special revelation through the Bible and the person of Christ gives specifics regarding sin and salvation. Here's what we know about that. In 1 John 4, 9 and 10, we read this again. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Well, atoning sacrifice can sound like churchy words or theological words. What they really mean is God substituting Jesus to pay for our sins. God substituting Jesus in our place to pay for our sins. Author and theologian John Stott says this about that substitution that takes place. He says, for the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. Man substituting himself for God is sin. While the essence of salvation is God substituting his, himself for man. God takes our place and pays for our sins through Jesus and that can be kind of, a, again, a theological concept when we think about that atonement, God paying for our sins. And here's maybe a story which brings it down to our level a little bit more. As I was reading this week, I read about a story that was first shown in 1999 on the NBC news show called Dateline. And they told the story of Americans waiting for heart transplants. And they said at that time there were about 4,300 Americans who were waiting for heart transplants, who needed a heart transplant to survive. They did the story focusing on Mount Sinai Hospital in New York City, and they followed nine men and women who were waiting for a new heart to replace their failing heart. Towards the end of the show, Dateline depicted the joy and elation of the patients who found out that they were receiving a new heart. And yet the joy was bittersweet because they realized that the cost of receiving a heart meant the death of someone else. For one to live, another person had to die. And so for us, the same thing happened with Jesus. For us to live and to have the opportunity at eternal life, Jesus had to die. And Jesus chose to die, which humbles us and shows us again and again God's love for us. So in general revelation, we are thankful that God gives us life. And we see that through creation around us. But in special revelation, we are humbled that God sent Jesus to rescue us from sin. We belong to God twice. He made us and he rescued us. Now, there's an old story, I think, that helps tell that um, well. And I know I've told this story before with uh, some of our teenagers. I'm not sure I've told it here, but it's a good story that deserves retelling. It was about a little boy who built a boat out of a complicated kit that he got like from one of those hobby stores. And it was, a, it was a pretty large boat and it was a sailing boat. 
he built the boat, he built it to specifications, and he put the sail on it, and it looked good, so he wanted to see if it would work. So he took his boat down to the river, which was near the edge of his town, and he thought he could sail it along the edge near the bank, and so he did. And he put the boat in the water, and the boat floated. And then he saw that the sail actually caught a little bit of wind, so the boat started floating a little bit farther away from the bank. Well, as it got out to the middle, more the middle of the river, there was a gust of wind came, and it caught the sail, and it moved the boat faster, and then the boat caught the current in the center of the river, and the boat started going faster. And he realized the boat may get away from him, so he started running down the bank to catch this little boat that he's made. But he can't run as fast as the boat's going. He's got to go around trees and different things. And the boat goes around a bend in the river and disappears. And before he can get down that way, and when he finally gets down to the bend in the river, the boat is gone. Well, a month passes, and he goes into town to the toy shop in town, And as he's walking down the street and he looks in the window, there prominently displayed in the window is his toy boat. And so he runs into the shopkeeper and he says, that's my boat. Well, the shopkeeper wants to believe him because he likes this little boy, but he says, you know, it may be your boat, but someone brought that in and it looked brand new to me and I paid good money for it. And so I'm sorry, but you're going to have to pay the price as marked if you want that boat. Well, the boy was disappointed, but he wasn't discouraged. So he went home, and he emptied his piggy bank, and as he counted out all the money, he realized he had just enough to buy the boat, and he raced back into town before anyone else would, and he bought the boat. And as he took that boat um, out of the store and he walked out into the, into the side, onto the sidewalk, he held the boat, and he said, little boat, you are twice mine. I made you, and I bought you. And in the same way, God has given us life through creation. God has made us in his image. And then he says, you are twice mine. I gave you life through your family. I created the world to to bring this world into being. And then when you went around the bend and when you got lost, I sent Jesus to rescue you and to give you second life. He says, people, you are twice mine. I made you, I gave you life. And I bought you back with Jesus. And when we hear that and when we understand how great it is to know the love of God, and when we read in 1 John what God has done for us, that he sent Jesus as a sacrifice for our sins, that we might live, it humbles us and it motivates us that we need to give back to God what he has first given to us, to give him that love that he has first given to us. So what are we to do about it? We know that God loved first. We need to love God back. And we know that love is active. And especially in 1 John 4, 11, love is a verb. Here's what it says in verses 11 and 12. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So love is active, love is a verb. And Jesus said in the Gospel of John, if you love me, you'll come up and give me a hug. No, that's not what he says. He doesn't say, if you love me, you'll come give me a hug. Jesus says, if you love me to his disciples, you will obey my commands. You know, you might think at first, that sounds a little harsh, but it's true. If God knows what's best for us and he calls us into relationship, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey what I taught you of how to walk in the world 
and how to love others. If you love me, you will obey my commands. And what's the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Alan shared a few minutes ago about how his faith is very real, and I've had the chance to get to know him over the last few years. He has a real faith, and he gets it. I know that Alan is a a faithful financial giver to this church and to the works of his church, but he goes beyond that. When he's called upon to share and to serve, he says yes. And so when he was asked to help with the mulch, not only did he come with a shovel to help the mulch, he brought his farm equipment in a trailer from his farm down to the church property to move mulch so that uh, the prayer path could be cleaner and, and better and so people could enjoy that. So he gave of his time and his talent the gifts that are uniquely his I'm not a farmer, those aren't my gifts, but those are some of the things that he has that he could give on that day to God's work and to this church. So love must be first, and God must be first, and God's love must be at the heart of our life and actions. I read a little piece from Christianity Today this week, and it was from a gentleman named Richard McBrien, and he talked about love and what what life would be if, uh, if we did things without love. And here's what he said about that. If love is the soul of Christian existence, it must be at the heart of every other Christian virtue. Thus, for example, justice without love is legalism. Faith without love is ideology, it's just mere ideology. Fortitude without love is recklessness. Care without love is mere duty. And every virtue is an expression of love. No virtue is really a virtue unless it is permeated or informed by love. I don't know about you. I know some people struggle with things like pride and ambition. I know two of the things that I struggle with on my, uh, my not-so-good days are selfishness and laziness. And so I might come upon some things where I'm like, you know what? That's a really good idea. But I'm really comfortable where I am, so I may not go do that thing. Or I can find an excuse uh, because I'm selfish on that day or lazy on that day. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this because that's what I want to do. So I need motivation. I know in my life, I don't know about you, I need motivation oftentimes to do the right thing and to, and to show others God's love. And I'm not perfect. There's lots of days when I fail in that. But part of the reason and part of the way that I'm motivated is to remember again and again, and this passage is one of my favorite passages in Scripture, to remember again and again that God loved me first, and because I'm humbled by how he loves me, I want to love him back. And I want to love him back, and it's hard sometimes to love God back. We love God through our worship, but we can love God by loving others, as he called us to do, to love your neighbor as yourself. So as we read a minute minute ago about those kinds of things, Um, those characteristics of love. I don't want to just care for others out of duty. I just don't want to do that because I'm supposed to. I want to do that out of love. I don't want to have faith just to be head knowledge, just something I believe. I want it to come out of love, out of my heart, because God loved me first. I want to give financially in other ways because I have joy in giving, Um, not just because I'm supposed to or because I feel guilty, so therefore I should give. Um, We want God's love to be at the center of, of our lives. We need to let God's love motivate us to put first things first. So we come into this place on Sunday mornings for an hour to worship God. 
But worship happens throughout the week. It happens every day of the week, and it can happen for me and for you. Worship is not just something we do on Sunday. When you give of your time, you love God and you love others. You worship. When you know what your talents are, and each of us is uniquely gifted, and maybe in your season of life you have different talents and abilities, when you know what your talents are and you use them to serve God and to love others, you are worshiping God. When you give financially to God's work and when you give with joy back to God because he has first given to you, you are worshiping God. And when we obey God's commands to love others, we are worshiping God. So we love God and we love others because God loved us first and because God gave to us first. We need to continually put first things first. Let's pray. Most loving God, we are humbled by your love for us and we thank you this morning for it. God, we're reminded how amazing your love is in so many ways as we look around creation and see the world, but then also as we remember very specifically that you love us, you tell us that throughout scripture and that you sent your son as a sacrifice for our sins. So God, when we experience that love, when we feel that love, when we read about it, Help your love, God, then to motivate us to love you back and love others. And Lord, help us to find, I pray for every person in this room, that they would find ways this week to love someone else in your name because you love them first. And God, this morning, we also get to experience your love through the Lord's Supper. It's something that Jesus shared with his disciples that we get to share now. And so God, In this prayer, we ask your blessing upon this meal before us. God, that it is something that we can experience your love and that we can be filled spiritually then through it and be reminded of your love that then we can go out and live for you. So we ask your blessing upon it. In Jesus' name, amen.